and it's Tuesday. Do you know where your dice are and what they're doing? We do. They're screaming. Oh! The dice are screaming are coming at you, and I'm Randy, and this is... Mike. Yeah, and we're coming at you live from the <laughs> Autonomous Gaming Citadel, <laughs> deep within the frozen wastes of southwest lower Michigan. Yeah, yeah, the frozen wastes is fairly accurate. Uh, a lot of ice and snow lately, so for all of our local listeners, uh, by all means... Exercise caution, because uh, the stretch of I-94 is known globally for its carnage and frustration. Uh, <laughs> it has engendered nothing but uh, harm to all who have traversed it, and, you know, has it even achieved meme and internet fame. Yep. Uh, and you know you screwed up when you've achieved internet fame. Uh, mm -hmm. Literally, I-94, near between Battle Creek and Kalamazoo, is the Florida man of American highways. Mm. Okay, and not even kidding. So, be careful Always out there. Always something going on. Be careful out there, all you winter denizens, because uh, we have there are so few of you that hear this that we cannot afford to lose even a single one. Yeah, all ten of our listeners. So, <laughs> hey. You're, you're a rare and exotic breed. So, we're coming at you again this Tuesday. And uh, we have call-in. Yeah, that's right. Call-in from Larry Hamilton. Come right up here. But uh, also, we got a topic for tonight, and uh, we're going to tease you with that. So I don't know what I think about that. What? About our topic. What do you think about topic? Well, I mean, I was imagining well, something a little more, you know, musically flavored. Musically flavored? You know, something bardic. Well, you mean like Led Zeppelin? You know. All right, those would be epic level bards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come from the line of bison snow. Yeah. With Hot Springs Midnight Sun Club? Yeah. I would be into that. That would be a great Bardic episode. Yeah, it would. It would. Too bad we're not going to do that, no. though. But we'll tell you what the topic is after this. Okay. Well, then call-ins it is. Yeah. So it's Larry Hamilton coming at you. Take it away, Larry. Hey, guys. This is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Good episode on Spies. Back in the day, uh, I played Top Secret, as that was the game. We did uh, almost all TSR stuff back in the day. TSR was first with a lot of things. I don't know about Spies, but that's the one we latched on to. Uh, you didn't mention it, but the new TSR has their own version of Top Secret, and they now own the trademark to Top Secret because WotC Wizards of the Coast let it lapse. So... Uh, and uh, Merle Rasmussen, the author of the original Top Secret, is involved in that. I got to play that version of Top Secret last spring at GaryCon on Sunday morning, and it was a lot of fun. He had a... he's a nice guy. So, a good episode. Keep up the work. All right, everybody. That was Larry Hamilton there, giving us some insight about uh, Top Secret and the good old days of Playing everything that TSR published. And yeah, yeah, I did remember that on the way home that uh, Merle... Uh, I did not. I was I was out of the social media gamer loop on that. I did not know that uh, the brand has been reclaimed. Yep. The sword that was broken has been forged anew. Yeah, Gondor I... calls for aid. The beacons are lit. Mm. All right, roll back there. <laughs> yeah, uh... You know, I was thinking about that on the way home, and uh, yeah, he had uh, put out a new version of it, so I have not yet 
uh, played it, but uh, it's worth mentioning. And of course, you know, Top Secret, uh, the old days were just as much fun as uh, any other of the TSR games, like Marvel Superheroes and all that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, nothing wrong with that. Uh, good on you for mentioning it, and uh, thanks again for listening and uh, giving us a call in, Larry. So, thank you. Right, oh. Now, uh, we're talking about topics tonight, and uh, as I adjust the tie in David Letterman style, <clears throat> well, topic. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be, like, we already know one thing about the topic, it's not going to be bards. Yeah. Well, one thing it will probably be is some open kimono time and uh, hopefully no table dancing, though. Really? Well, you know, you never well, let kimono, an episode go by. This, with, this kimono has been a little tight just lately, so yeah, great. All right. That that, that helps. <laughs> well, okay. That, that helps you get through the episode. I'm more than happy to facilitate your open kimono-ness. <laughs> Not shaming anybody here. That's okay. not what we do at the Dice Screaming. We do not shame. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the first rule of Podcast Club. We do not talk, talk about, about Podcast Club. Sorry, just broke it. If it's your uh, first night here, you must podcast. So, <laughs> with that, our topic tonight is going to be that old bugbear of later editions, psionics. Oh, now see, that's a good topic. I... I'm not as upset oh, about the okay. whole no bards thing. Uh, so I got music in my soul, man. I just I really want to get it out. But psionics, hey, uh, uh, welcome to authentic AD and D edition one material that many found confusing. And I gotta confess, I don't think it was all that carefully spelled out in the earliest editions. I, it was no. not well. Uh, there was a lot of material there, but it wasn't well referenced and it wasn't neatly linked together in a way that could be adjudicated easily. So it was very tough. Yeah, but it was a part of the game. But, uh, you know, the one thing it does have in common with the Bards is that it was put back in the appendix of the player's handbook. So, you know, you get a little uh, satisfaction off that. I don't know if that'll yeah, there was solve your wounds. But, a lot uh, of great material right there in those later appendices. Yeah, the Bard... Uh, and the psionics were included in it, but a lot of people didn't like psionics. And, and uh, way better appendices in the player's handbook than in the DM guide. The, uh, you know, uh, the DM guide they were they were so scattered throughout. I mean, these these little collections of things at random. I, you really could get appendicitis at, after a few oh. weeks of reading that. Just oh God, where is it? <laughs> appendix number forty two C subtable F. But no, Player's players Handbook, Psionics. Yep, and, uh, you know, as you spoke, it wasn't really well put together or presented. So I can understand a lot of apprehension, but, uh, you know, you'd be missing out on some classic monsters if you didn't use Psionics, like the Mind Player oh. and the Intellect Devourer. Uh, not to mention adding another dimension to any conflict with extraplanar creatures of a significant level of power. You're yep, just the literally and devils had uh, yeah, they had major psionics, and you're literally taking weapons off the table that could serve you as a DM. So, while some people did not invest a lot of effort learning how to manipulate uh, psionic combat, I understand that choice. 
but it was really cheating yourself of some great opportunities. Yeah, and most of the attack modes didn't really work on non-psionicists. The only psionic blast worked on the non-psionic people. So it was kind of limited, and, you know, if you did skip it, well, you know, that's kind of the thing that kind of went on with those days. You could overlook it. Good old psionic blast. Yeah, I'll get your brain scrambled, in. The, the, the scanner's moment. Uh-oh. Yeah. Great. Mind flare nest. It's nosebleed city in here. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Brain hemorrhage coming up. <laughs> Why does everything smell like toast? <laughs> you know, just, oh, every time. Uh, which, yeah, once again, I played a lot of fighters, so be like that. If you really wanted to see my fighter leap up in the air like a terrified kitten and land in the magic user's lap, uh, yeah, throw some brain-frying uh, opponents that, you know, if you're not especially gifted in the intellectual side of things, you're doomed. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, kind of the in-joke was is that uh, the fighter didn't have much to lose in, as far as the brain <laughs> department, so, you know... You know, other than kind of getting a nosebleed or feeling a little ill or having a strange craving for lemonade and crushed bugs. Uh, I used to refer to it as getting the Led Zeppelin treatment. Oh, well. It, if you were a warrior and you faced a psionic opponent, you left dazed and confused. Yep. Oh, yeah, I did that. Dad joke city. Oh. Yeah, under under a certain age, that, that joke is absolutely without a point of reference. Yep. Oh. But, hey, let, let us not ramble too far into the weeds on this one. <laughs> Back to the psionics topic. Careening the safari jeep of our conversation. Ah. <laughs> Out of the grasslands and back onto the road. Yep, we're getting this back on the road if it kills us. It's like an episode of Wild Kingdom. All right, Jim is going to take care of annoying the puma, which has enormous claws and a very sharp set of teeth. Jim, get out there and really tick that thing off. <laughs> we'll wipe it with a belt a few times. <laughs> Jim's like, screw you, Marlon. I've had it with this. Uh, or he should have been. But yeah, you're you're my you're my gamekeeper, dude. You gotta keep me on track here. Doing my best. Doing my best, folks. So yeah, you know, Psionics is initially uh put forth in the uh AD&D version. I mean, it did come out in the, uh, I believe it was the Greyhawk appendix. Had that, or Eldritch Wizardry. Yeah, Eldritch Wizardry. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it did make its appearance there, but uh, again, it was kind of one of those weird things, and, uh, you know, every character had a psionic potential that you tested for. And it was the sum of your stats, your intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, and all that. And maybe you got, you know, um, bodily control, or cellular adjustment, and all that. It's minor healing things out of it. Or ESP or object reading. But a lot of those things kind of were esoteric. It wasn't until really the Dragon Magazine published the Psionicist class that uh, things began to take off. Yeah, that pulled a lot of people in, especially with the uh, Catherine Kerr, uh, Darren I trilogies, uh, really hot at the moment. Yep. And that pushed so much interest. You're like, well, you know, can't we organize this a little better? Yep. And that edition issue that I speak of where it it was the material was there, but it took a lot of work to bounce back and forth between two books and learn how to adjudicate it properly. The psionicist class came along and really neatened things up and opened the door for a lot of players who then found themselves greatly enjoying the Master of the Powers of the Mind. Yep, and that class became quite uh, popular at our tables and 
a lot of others in the local area. And uh, part of the problem with the Psionics were is that it didn't have a direct fantasy antecedent. It wasn't really well-rooted in fantasy roots. Now, Catherine Kerr's uh, books did help a lot with that. But Psionics seemed kind of out of place. Like, you know, you had magic, and you could understand that. You know, you had both clerical and uh, wizardly-type magic. But, you know, Psionics was kind of its own thing, and it represented a sum of the potential of your mind and... You know, the reason why it used those characteristics is because classically it was looked at as part of your intellectual side, your personality, that's your charisma, your willpower, your wisdom, and your intellect, your ability to cognitively focus. Those were all parts that made the sonic potential part of your character. So more or less you became a wild talent if you just randomly generated your sonic powers, or if you wanted to practice your sonic powers and focus it as a career, there was your class. And to give you some antecedents for this, uh, remember that at the time the, the game was coming into place in the 1960s and 1970s, a lot of mysticism was in pop culture at that very moment. I mean, you know, be it the Yuri Geller Spoonbenders mm-hmm. or, uh, oh goodness, uh, who? The Amazing Kreskin. Yep, and uh, also Ultra. Yeah, all right. Now the, that's. The common mythical lore of, you know, the. The CIA experiments and Russians were apparently involved into that and all that. Everybody was trying to get on the bandwagon and figure out if there was something to this. Because honestly, although across centuries, there have always been purported persons. Uh, Rasputin, for instance, with the power to influence the minds of others. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) uh, shot, poisoned, stabbed. You know, the argument rages over who this person was and what they were capable of and uh, the point being that the attribution of special powers of the mind had a long history. And so for the first time, people were actually making an active effort to try to figure out, is there something to this? And obviously here we are decades later, and maybe not so much, but uh, it was an interesting time. And D&D jumped on that bandwagon, too, and right. transformed pop culture and myth into something that could be plugged directly into the game uh, and adjudicated adequately by a DM. Yeah, and you know, they gave a bevy of monsters for psychically active characters to deal with, and uh, it made combat a little bit more, well, cumbersome. In Ori, a cumbersome system. And let's just confess, uh, here's the... Tonight's open kimono moment. Yeah, we need theme music. Yeah. No, no, no table dancing with the open kimono. Um, the open kimono moment is that the Monster Manual and Psionics provided the DM with a gorgeous bevy of opportunities to hose players by surprise. Uh, oh my goodness. Thought seekers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Brain moles. Yeah. Oh gosh, even in the Monster Manual too, they were throwing in new stuff like the, I think the Keck were uh, psionically active as well. Yeah, there was a couple uh, monsters there too. You know, that it wasn't forgotten. If it wasn't neglected at times, it definitely was kind of at the corners. So if you wanted to use it, it was certainly there for you. Yeah, and... For a DM, when you have players that are, 
uh, how, skillful, uh, highly alert, well-prepared and experienced enough that even difficult challenges go reasonably well for them. And you struggle as a DM to challenge your players. Then and now, the trick is to have that thing they didn't expect. And man, uh, if, I, if I've got to come out swinging in defense of psionics, the best part was it provided you with a toolkit of things that, hey, they get used to the regular grind. Here's something new. Here's something you haven't run into in months. Uh, and man, they're never the same after the first psionic attack. Erecting a tower of iron will versus a thought shield or mind barrier. Yeah, mind to mind combat. And they're just having their little scanners do. Yeah, in insinuation versus ego whip. <laughs> your mother was a hamster and your father smelt the elderberries. Oh, spiritually wounded by this painful truth. Oh. Ah, your mother is the reason why you have intimacy issues to this day. Ha-ha! Ho-ho! Um, yeah, so, you know, you have those duels going on. And in the midst of fireballs being uh, slung and swords and maces going back and forth and arrows being hurled, it's all part of the combat situation. It could get really intense. And there's a lot of reasons why people especially DMs who were still starting the game and not really sure of what these strange rules represented, it was a little uh, intimidating, to put it mildly. Oh, and very. You could be excused if, you know, you wanted to say, like, hey, I just don't want to deal with that. I want to deal with typical sword and sorcery stuff. Conan never had to face a mind-blasting horror. Or, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was like every episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, <sighs> he, he got out-thought a lot. But... The dude ain't been born that can out-fierce Conan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's that my fierce counts for more than your think. So. <laughs> uh, Taste my blade, demon dog. Yeah, at that degree of concentration. <laughs> oh, well, or we got to mention reference Gru, the opposite scenario, uh, where it isn't a mere iron will that protects him, but I have attempted to control your mind, only to come to the disappointing conclusion that there is nothing for me to grab hold of. Oh. <laughs> Just empty space between your ears. <sighs> it is an empty void! Oh! oh. <laughs> Foe defeated. <laughs> yep, and, you know, Psionics had uh, that going on, too. If you didn't have high enough intellect, you're immune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, there were certain ones, the Psionic disciplines, but... You know, they could still mind tricks don't work on me. Only money. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you have different approaches to how the Psionics was set up, but it was very subtle, and it wasn't very as intuitive as Fireball or Lightning Bolt or, you know, ESP. But nonetheless, it was there. And so whether you chose to use it or ignore it, it did add a little bit to the game, and then second edition came out, and it came out with the Scionist's Handbook and a setting, Dark Sun, that was specifically made for psionic creatures to be inhabiting alongside normal horrors and terrors that tried to eat you and destroy your stuff. And that was great, okay? Just, one, it was done, I think, in part, just because magic had played such a dominant role in all other campaign settings. To, until that moment, 
it was magic, magic, magic. You know, cleric, mage, cleric, mage, cleric, mage. And okay, the psionicist concept was peeking around the corners and, hey, yep. you know, can I, could I, could I hang out with you guys? No! Uh, in Dark Sun, psionics came into its own. And it got to be center stage. Yeah, that was quite intentional to create a very novel, very innovative, very unique campaign setting that made players feel like they were playing a whole different game. Yep, and you know the second edition Sonics uh, played heavily off the proficiency system, which we're not going to really get into here. But it was very modular and it adapted well to the new system, and it was easy to grasp, and it didn't require a whole lot, layer of complexity. Now, it still had the same basic attack modes, you know, Sonic Blast, Indian Insinuation. Oh, Rip, sure. I mean, the, the same crust. material was there, but the adjudication of it, the ability to yep. learn it, master it, and then be able to make a spot decision as a DM... Uh, that was one of the things second edition really got right. You know, every edition has its ups and its downs, and you know we obviously like have our stances on each and every single one of them. But that's one where second edition cleaned house a little bit, tightened everything up, got it looking sharp, put a little coat of polish on it, and mm -hmm. they delivered a really handsome product uh, in that respect. Yeah, and uh, Dark Sun still has its allure besides uh, just being. You know, very, very gritty fantasy where, you know, armies fight over a moldering sack of grain and, you know, a muddy puddle. You know, <laughs> you know it's a little overblown, but yes, you get the picture that the resources yeah. are scarce. And if you're running around with a bone sword plus one, you know, and somebody offers you an iron forged weapon, well, you're taking that iron forged weapon. Yeah, you're just you're carrying a king's ransom on your back, but uh, make sure you don't fall into this before you're strong enough to keep it. Yep, because everybody's gonna want it. It was a dark, gloomy campaign setting, but the central stage of psionics delivered something new, and all of a get all of a sudden you found lots of players playing psionics as opposed to, you know, uh, one particular person in every group having an interest in it and trying a psionicist out from time to time. All of a sudden it was, you know, like par for the course. This is a functional, consistent part of the game. Yeah, and it was modular too. You didn't have to have it. No, no. And if somebody had the book, you know, and they wanted to play it and the game master was more than willing to, you know, set aside some time to read it or be aware of it, then of course it was more than welcome. But Again, the main uh, campaigns like Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk and uh, Dragonlance really didn't deal much in psionics, but uh, they were still there if you cared to use them. Less so Dragonlance, of course. But that is uh, part of the allure of psionics, is that those that used them sort of, it kind of gave an allure that there was something else lurking around the, every corner of your campaign world. You know, more than just mind players zapping you with psionic blasts and knocking you senseless and then devouring your brain. Here was also something else that could be fought and confronted by a skilled member of the party who was trained in the arts of the mind. And, you know, uh, what was it called in Dark Sun? The Will and the Way. Yeah, but, but, although the name for it always reminded me of The Will and the Word, which was David Eddings in mm -hmm. uh, Pawn of Prophecy and the others. But The Will and the Way, you know, that it was... was uh, it? Yeah, kind of... The Mind and the Path, basically. Yep. Yeah. Oh, which, fascinating material, and well-written, too. I mean, it was an engaging and somewhat different approach to psionics. Uh, 
as opposed to the earlier editions, which it was more plunk, there it is. Yeah. Uh, and that's all you get. You better figure it out on your own. <laughs> uh, your explanation for it is up to you. Uh, Dark Sun provided you with a history and an explanation and a place for it in the world that was already well carved out. Uh, so, yeah. yeah I mean, magic users and uh, clerics were kind of put to the side because to be a magic user in there, you had to make a decision to be a preserver or a pilot. Yeah. And so magic users were hunters or were sort of hunted by the priest kings and the agents of the Templars. Yeah, not necessarily welcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> depending on uh, if a powerful preserver or defiler was, uh, you know, entrenched in the area. Oh, this is a defiler's turf. Well, your preserver is in mortal danger every waking moment. Oh, you're a defiler. Well, then everywhere else, you're in danger, danger every, every waking, waking moment. moment. <laughs> yeah. Are we sensing a theme here? But that was a campaign designed for Sionics, so we're going to approach this from how would you incorporate Sionics to, say, a normal fantasy world? say, one where the core consistency is more or less Western Europe. And the answer to that is, of course, go to uh, Catherine Kerr's approach to it. Ah, yes, the Darenai, yes. like a priesthood of sorts. Uh, yeah, could Sionics be practiced out in the open? Would it be, to most people, any different than a magic user? Yeah, not really. You know, they could have a role very similar to that, uh, you know, Required garb. Uh, you could do the Jedi thing, you yep. know, an order of psionic knights that, you know, they fight with the mind, uh, not with the flesh. And, of course, you know, with second edition, it gave the uh, opening for the wild talent, which was technically what the original AD&D version was. Was basically you just, you had a uh, psionic potential that you had tapped into, but the psionic represented a regiment practice a rote and a method to gain power. Not too dissimilar from magic users. So, but if you incorporate sonics, you know, um, the other thing is, is that rather than like spells per day, you had sonic points. And this was both first and second edition. And Which, so, it, again, oh, we're being very specific on the psionic points issue because it is a facet of the improved performance of psionics in a way that could be graded, measured, and grown level by level. You could build up to having more points available to you slowly but surely uh, through years of practice, which, again, lines up with the core concept of D&D itself, which is that time and experience and ex practice make you stronger. Uh, and that... Telling that, things and taking stuff, that makes you tougher. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm being a little... Uh, tongue-in-cheek there, but the point is, yeah, that, you know, your character grows over a period of time rather than just, bam, I got all these points, and, uh, you know, I can just do object reading, you know, 15, 20 times a day, where, you know, the poor, you know, third-level magic user maybe can, you know, do ESP once. Yeah, so the question of fitting it into the campaign in a way that flowed level by level, uh, based and adjusted with the strength and average level of the party suddenly possible in the later edition. Yeah, especially like body weaponry, which, you know, eventually gave you the ability to have like plus yeah. three weapons and stuff. So, you know, a little weird, <laughs> but yeah, it was there. 
Um, that was a possibility you could get, and it was also very random, whereas the Psionics, you know, there was a little, being the Psionics' class in the first edition, you did have a little randomness to it, but, you know, you got to pick and choose. So that also came to building your character to being a little bit tougher than, say, just a guy who had a wild talent potential. Now, in second edition, of course, things changed, and, you know, some uh, settings uh, really hit Sonics on the nose, like Dark Sun, and others just kind of kept it where it was in the corners. Oh, if yeah. If you wanted to use it, it was there, you know. Forgotten Realms really wasn't a, a hostile to it. No, but, uh, I mean, Greyhawk was uh, more of the classic standard. It, yeah. it had long since already incorporated such things into it, so uh, it was... I, I think a little less difficult to knit it into the framework of that campaign setting. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's uh, to the credit of uh, the writer and the creative team that developed uh, Forgotten Realms that they were able to uh, give nods to it. But uh, again, you know, Greyhawk was kind of like, yeah, it's it's there, and I've met a lot of Greyhawk game, uh, game masters who have never ah, Sonic just doesn't exist, and that's fine. I mean, play the game what you want, make it what you want. Like how you like, but don't yeah, get my, too specific about it. Like if you do it this way, my way is the right way. There is yeah. It, look, my abilities to adjudicate on the fly with unfamiliar material have improved greatly over the last thirty years. Uh, if your memory of psionics was oh yeah, that was that thing that like when I was fifteen, I tried to read that chapter and I couldn't really figure it out, and I didn't want to just screw it up in mid game, so I, I axed it. Uh, look, that's a totally valid choice, man. Yeah. I, a lot of us did that. There's n zero shame. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna diss anybody for that. No. But if you haven't learned a new trick in 35 years, <laughs> uh, then you know the bigger issue here is is not whether it has no place in the game or never should, but rather, I, you, seriously, that many years and you, you know, like a dog really ought to learn a new trick or two once yeah. in a while. True. And we have new additions. Next, Mike, you're DMing dog. DMing dog. That's cool. Um, you, when you use Psionics in a campaign, of course, you want to give thought to how it impacts it. And one of the things with Psionics was, of course, the game balance issue. You know, a guy got, got to use this over and over and over yes. until he ran out of points or was drained by things like uh, intellect of hours, yeesh, unit, oh. just about everything under the sun. And, uh, you know, mind players, of course, always the dreaded oh. but very rare encounter with them thank goodness yeah, yeah i was petrified of the underdark after a couple of adventures with mind players i don't want to go down there i get nosebleeds and migraines i can't see and <laughs> yeah I'm just a guy who punches stuff don't make me think <laughs> and uh you know you had you had to give some thought to game balance and sonics was kind of thorny in that way even in second edition some people really uh pushed the envelope there were a couple times where Oh, what is it called? Kinetic Control. Yeah, guy. Uh, playing Dark Sun, a guy uh, met an Obsidian Reaver. And uh, basically like the uh, Retriever out of the Fiend Folio. Ah. Except made out of Subsidian and used more Psionic-based talents. He let the thing go off on him and uh, hit him several times. He stored up all the damage and then unleashed it in one hit on the Obsidian Retriever, killing it <clears throat> in one blow. Which I was kind of like, okay, that's a little broken. And... Um, you know, then we began looking at ways to curtail that. But at that point, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, it's hard to put it back in. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of got to roll your punches and hope for a better adju adjudication come later. 
Um, well, and speaking of later, I'm wondering, you know, should we reference uh, what, what's the degree of presence for it in the newest editions? Oh, well, 5th uh, edition doesn't really have a place for psionics per se. They have not. So yet. I thought. Yeah, they have kind of a psionic system, but it's not. It's more just like spells. Okay, okay. You know, like spell-like abilities and all that. And, uh, you know, Pathfinder uh, struggled with it for a while, and then they finally unleashed it with the uh, Occult Adventures. Hmm. And uh, they had uh, a different approach to how magic is done, much like Sonic should be, but it was still in that same format. So, again, what they did was kind of scale it back in both and kind of just made it more uniform in its approach rather than having a separate system to adjudicate it. Oh, well, I'll, you know, the expediency appeals to me because uh, learning multiple different rule sets inside the same game is actually clunky, clunky, awkward, and poor game design. You know, things should be workable using the existing system at the time. So I, I approve in that sense. But uh, Oh, you definitely have a different appeal from playing, say, a sorcerer in Pathfinder uh, than you do playing a psychic. Hmm. There's much different, you know, your powers grow over time, so there is a different feel to it. I will give it that, but, uh, you know, is it that different? No, you know, you still have to use your mental defenses a lot when confronting another psychic or a psychic creature, and you still get to put that into play. So that, they've kept that, and I think that is an important key point, is that when a psionicist met a mind player, a man with a rifle, he's a man with a pistol, you know, um... <laughs> When a scientist met a mind player, the combat did take a different shape, and now you knew that this character was going to come into his own. You know, he was able to confront the, a powerful opponent like a mind player on a very different ground and hold not only his own, but have a different feel in how the outcome was going to be. We beat it with swords, and maybe we hit it with a few spells that work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could overpower and drive him away. Uh, even take over their mind, or vice versa. Yeah, and that's another fun one for the DM. Uh, yeah, having when, Eagle Whip and Pathfinder is a much different experience than just doing color spray or charm person. Taking over uh, one of your player characters uh, as a you know their their team members may not even know that they lost. Uh, you know, one of those classic film trope moments where you you just you know. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Whoa, just barely got through that. You know, bit of a mm -hmm. nosebleed. Uh, but they're plotting your doom because the bad guy is living in them now. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful turn of a turn of affairs where you catch them off guard later. And if you've got a really agreeable player with you, let them play it out. You know? Yeah, and but I'm always taken back to... Uh... What is it, St. Camber? Oh. Of uh, Catherine Kurz. I always liked his approach that it was almost a monastic society onto their own, that policed their own, but also acknowledged that they had a greater role to play in the world. Yeah, not, uh, not thoroughgoing isolationists, uh, and not like hermetic monks where it's like, oh, we do not leave the sacred mountaintop. No, it's like we have a And there a were some the that world. felt that they should rule others. And there were some that believed that it was their right to help. And that's where the self-policing comes in, which yep. is either of those two extremes. And again, uh, 
you know, very Jedi-esque. Yeah, but also like just putting Thieves Guilds into the game with the addition of the Thieves class. You know, the Sionists had the same thing that you could insert. So it does require some work, but I think it's work that is well rewarded. And just as shown with Dark Sun, if you make do it right, you know, your players will be much more thankful and a richer world will come from it. Yeah, I've had some fascinating adventures over the years that were not in standard D&D, like, extremely familiar settings, and I'm not one bit sorry for any of those games. Not one bit. Nope. And uh, so, you know, I think we pretty much covered science. I wanted to get out a few things, and uh, if you have some different ideas or takes on what uh, you experienced from us, please, by all means, tell us, because, you know, uh, there is no right or wrong way to enjoy the Dungeons & Dragons game. Yeah, I, look, uh, we've got a lot of things we loved and a, a very small list of things that we absolutely hated. Uh, so uh, I totally hated Bone Stoppers. Yeah, well, and you've got the right. Uh, you, you met the bad end of the Bone Snapper. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, terrifying. Uh, trapped in a pit with a set of those. Uh, so sorry, man. Yeah, no, it's all right. But, uh, no, it... We've whiled away another perfectly good half hour. Yeah, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it and not squandered your time with listening to a bunch of boneheads, or a pair of boneheads, not a bunch, a pair of boneheads talk about things that they think that they know something about. Because <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Honestly, <laughs> please help us. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, find us those two guys who think they know what they're talking about, because... <laughs> we don't. <laughs> they're um, not us. We Can we have them on the show? Yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to have you guys on the guest. <laughs> they list. might really improve the, uh, the level of performance here. <laughs> All right, man. All right, yeah. Take so, care. Yeah, we're going to uh, sign off here, so... Uh, Keep the calls coming in and hit those like buttons and uh, make sure that you let us know what you think because if we're doing it wrong, hey, we're the first ones to acknowledge we have no clue. Yeah. But with that, we're going to say good night, good luck, and wherever you are, may the dice always roll in your your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.